to give to the people. We live in a day and an age where we don't give blessings very often. And we're called to, um, uh, I challenge you to, I challenge you not just to do it when someone sneezes, um, which is where we typically do it, and that's even where you get blessed by the atheist who is quick to say, God bless you when you sneeze, though they don't know or believe that there is one, um, which is itself is kind of an interesting thought that should be a dialogue beginner. Um, <laughs> you know, if someone says, God bless you, from now on you ought to look at them and say, who? <laughs> and say, God bless you, and say, well, tell me about him. How's he going to do it? And, you know, it can really launch... Uh, interesting discussions. Anyway, um, biblically, there is not only a blessing, it is taught by God that we are to bless each other. And Aaron was told to bless the people, and the blessing is contained in in the book of Numbers, and we looked at it last week and spontaneously said, hey, how many of you can sing this song a cappella, The Lord Bless You and Keep You? This is a song written by a guy in the 1800s named Peter Lutkin. Now, you may be thinking, I've never heard of him. That's probably true. This is the only thing he ever did in his life that's made it into the year 2003. Um, but this one song is, is uh, uh, in itself a major accomplishment. Uh, if this is all you do with your life, you've done an incredible amount. He put the, the benediction or the blessing to music. And um, um, Michelle Miori and uh, a few of uh, her cohorts in crime uh, from our class... And this is not, gee, let's get Dick Hill and uh, Sunday morning pros to come in here. This is our class, which happens to make up half of the Sunday morning pros. But <laughs> aside from that, this is our class basically saying, okay, we have learned how to sing this song. We are going to sing it. And the goal here is not for them to sing it uh, to us. I, I failed to get the music for everybody, and I'm sorry about that. But I at least have the words up here. And a lot of you may know the song. The goal here is for you to sing along. This sounds really good if it's being sung by these folks in a small room. Um, This is a huge room, and I don't know how the acoustics are going to do. Y'all come on up. This is The Lord Bless You and Keep You. If you were here last week, there is uh, now on the Internet... um, them trying to sing this last week on the website. Yeah, and... uh, and so it's pretty bad. And um, this is their shot at redemption because this will be on the Internet this week. Um, if there's anybody else who really feels a desire to sing up here with a microphone looking at a book, come on up. But they will carry the day. And uh, 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 just someone, I mean, there's got to be someone who's just too embarrassed to walk up here. This is, we're family. Just come on up if you want to come up and sing. If not, where, you're, where you are, you're going to have to stand up because people will sing better standing up. So stand up. This is the Lord bless you and keep you a cappella. <laughs> the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift his countenance up. And be gracious gracious unto you, 
and be gracious. The Lord be gracious, gracious unto you. Redemption. Huh? Thank you, Michelle. Thank you all. Um, if you grew up in the Church of Christ and anyone ever moved, they got that song sung to them right before they moved. And uh, so, I mean, you just grew up with that song. But it's a wonderful blessing in what it has to say. And the book of Numbers, where we are right now, is a wonderful mixture of... Um, am I... Yeah, I'm on. I'm, I went off. I'm back on. You can hear. Can you hear me? Yes. Good. That's what I care about. Um, the book of Numbers is an interesting uh, mixture of blessings and curses. This was a blessing that Aaron was to pronounce upon the people of Israel. And the Bible story makes an interesting transition because it goes from this blessing to some attempted curses on the people. From Aaron saying, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift His countenance upon you and give you peace. Make His face shine upon you. It goes from there to um, a problem. Now to put it into context, we're going back to our Holy Lands map of today. This is uh, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait. This is Iraq. Um, uh, some people call it our 51st state. I don't think that's necessarily accurate at this point, but... Uh, it is uh, Iraq where we have a significant number of our people right now. Um, this is Syria, Lebanon. This is Israel. We've got Egypt. Egypt we think of as over here, but this is called the Sinai Peninsula. Um, this is uh, uh, Jordan right here. Y'all with me? You kind of up on the map and up on the geography of the area? Okay. The Israelites had been stuck in Egypt for 400 years. You'll recall they exited in the Exodus and uh, uh, crossed the Red Sea, uh, went to Mount Sinai, wherever that is. We're not sure which mountain they were calling Mount Sinai at the time. There is a Mount Sinai today, but whether it's the same, um, folks are not clear. Uh, they went into and, and wilderness wanderings. This is the wilderness all in here and in here. And so they wander around the wilderness it comes time, finally, the 40 years of wandering is over. They're getting ready to start entering the Holy Lands. And the way God's got them entering is coming up here and entering this way. And we'll see that. Um, these are the tribes right now that, that have the nations that have this, this land, if you will. You've got, and this, the, the picture behind this uh, PowerPoint presentation is a photograph from NASA from up in space. So this is a NASA photograph. That's the Mediterranean Sea. And this is, let's go back. We are, this is a zoom of this area right here. You'll see. 
So we're going to zoom in. We've got the Mediterranean Sea. We'll see that's the Dead Sea. Um, that's the Sea of Galilee up there. That's the Jordan River that connects them. Uh, water flows down into the Dead Sea. But this is the area that we're zooming in on. And as we zoom in, maybe... Yeah, there we go. Um, this picture being taken, you've got the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River, the Dead Sea... This is the Mediterranean Sea. And at this time, as the Israelites are coming out of Egypt, we've got the Philistines down here with Philistia. The Phoenicians, we get our alphabet. Some of you might know from the Phoenicians. Um, they were up here. Uh, the Hittites go north. Uh, this is the Ammon area. This is Canaan. This is the promised land right in here. But we've also got Edom and Moab and Midian. And this isn't exactly right. Midian is up a little bit closer to Moab in here. They, they, they kind of, Edom kind of scoots over there a little bit, actually over here a little bit. And anyway, um, the Israelites, we remember from last week, wanted permission. You see, they're going to enter and start conquering the Holy Land here north of the Dead Sea. Um, they wanted permission to go through Edom and the Edomite king wouldn't let him. He said, now nah, you got to go around. So they dance around. And in the, well, they don't dance, but they, they cut around. And in the process of going around, they managed to wallop a couple of kings, Og and Sihon. Now, not a lot of you name your children Og and Sihon. Those names have not made it through in prosperity. It's interesting because some of these names have Joshua. Um, my, I've got a nephew named Joshua. You know, he's one of these guys. Moses, I've met people named Moses before. But uh, no one wants to be named after a losing king um, um, or losing anything else for that matter. You, there aren't a lot of kids today named Adolf after post-World War II. Um, anyway, uh, but before that, you know, you, you had a lot of Adolfs. It's, he just kind of ruined the name. A lot of people aren't named Jezebel. We'll learn about that later. Um, but uh, uh, Joshua and these guys, they walloped this king named Sihon and this king named Og. And in the process, there's a king in Moab named Balak, Balak, um, who gets a little bit concerned about it. So here are the players as we talk about this story today. We have Balak, who's the king of Moab. Okay, Moab being this area right here. Now, the Israelites aren't really meaning to wipe out the Moabites. At this point in time, Moab's kind of a kind of like Edom. They have a get out of jail free card right now, and and. You know, Israel's looking to come over here into Canaan as the promised land, and they're just going around. But Balak, the king of the Moabs, um, um, he hears about Sihon and Og getting killed, and he's a little bit worried. He's thinking he's in for a little, uh, a little uh, Arab-Israeli war uh, uh, at this point, or at least a Moab-Israeli war. And so he's concerned because the Israelites are big. They are an awesome army. And the details that he would have heard probably include that these are the people who managed to get away from Pharaoh. And if the truth be told, managed to kill Pharaoh and his army. Because uh, uh, that's basically what happened in the Red Sea. Pharaoh, of course, being one of the most powerful people on earth. So this army of Jews has made it through 40 years in the wilderness. They are huge. They are well-fed. Manna was uh, uh, evidently good to their, their bodies, if not their taste buds. They got kind of sick of it. But uh, uh, they're well-fed, and, and they have just walloped two local kings. 
And the king of the Moabites is in, in a little bit of concern over this and a little bit upset. Now, if you think like a Moabite king uh, of 1500 years B.C., you're not some big, awesome power. You don't have fax machines. You certainly don't have weapons of mass destruction. You're not really geared toward perpetual war. What you try to do is try to take care of your little country, make sure that your, not country, your little area, if you will, your towns that basically pay you taxes. Take care of your shepherds that give you some cut of the sheep. And that's your goal. And this new powerhouse comes in, and you got a couple of choices there. One choice is to figure you're in for, whoa, figure you're in for annihilation, and so you go ahead and you, you, you go to war, you fight, you get, you're in a corner. Another choice is to try and cut a deal and try to be friendly with them. Well, Balak, king of the Moabites, decides that he's just going to have to fight him. He doesn't see that there's a choice, and he's worried about it. So... Um, um, he gets the closest thing to a weapon of mass destruction that he can. He goes for the supernatural help. See, in Mesopotamia, now Mesopotamia, let's go back to our map. Mesopotamia is really this area here of Iraq, mostly Iraq. It's got some Syria, got some Saudi Arabia. But if you get into this area here, that's, and all the way down into here, is considered Mesopotamia, and actually up into there. Okay? Um, Mesopotamia has got some guy who's got a really good reputation as a cursor. Okay? Um, we don't uh, bless much these days. We don't typically curse much. I'm thinking I'm 42 and I don't remember. I mean, there's cursing in the sense of uh, the way we use the word for like uh, cussing people out and stuff. There is that kind of cursing. But I mean, good basic raw cursing, like there used to be in the Bible, we don't see much of. In my 42 years, I think I've seen it once uh, in, in seriousness. You see it sometimes in jest on TV as people make curses. The only time I can think of I've seen it was one time, <laughs> you're smiling, Bob. <laughs> Dr. Bob and I were in trial here in Harris County. We represented this fellow who had uh, brain damage. Um, the brain damage was, you could see it on one certain medical test where it tests the blood flow. But this judge, who liked to sit up on the bench and knit all the time, did not uh, decide that that test would be allowed to be discussed in front of the jury. So the jury doesn't know about it. Um, the bad guys who brain damaged my fellow were represented by a, a number of different lawyers, and one of them in particular is this hotshot who'd come into the courtroom like a play director, and he'd tell all his people what to do with his finger. He'd and he wouldn't actually do it. He's one of these guys who didn't have enough guts to get in there and fight the fight. Instead, he was going to go in there and tell other people how to fight it. So if it didn't work out right, it'd be their fault instead of his. But I've not taken any of this personally. Um, <laughs> so we go in there, and we are, are I mean, one of the big fights is, is our guy brain damaged or is he faking? Okay. Um, because his brain damage is not such that it leaves him, well, he's, he, he needs a cane to walk with, but, but basically he's just out there, okay? His memory is shot, his 
is he's just out there. Uh, what persuaded Bob and I he was telling the truth, because we got with each other and looked at him and said, you think this guy's really hurt? And he said, well, I don't know. Let me say, we started working and looking at it. The guy was out in his uh, pasture trying to do something, and he sat down in the field. And uh, it wasn't until his wife came out later, he had 179 fire ant bites on him and didn't even realize the ants were on him. And it, when I saw, and, and they took him to the emergency room, they have pictures. The guy's swollen up like a, uh, you know, it uh, looks like cucumber, you know, with all the little spines on him from the bites. And I thought, you know, if I was faking it, I might fake two or three ant bites to, to try, but I'm not going to fake 197. This guy, that was what convinced me the guy was really not all the way there. So we're in there and, and we're fighting and we're fighting and the bad guys have hired this doctor that we call a jukebox witness because you, you put your money in and he'll sing any song you want him to sing. And, and so they put their jukebox witness on the stand and he's explaining away everything that there is to explain and uh, uh, trying to explain. I mean, this guy is, is a specialist in one kind of medicine, but he's expounding on every kind of medicine there is that he doesn't have anything about, but he's getting paid, you know, $1,000 an hour, so he takes his time. And um, this guy's on the stand testifying about all this stuff. Well, we take a break. And Dr. Bob goes out into the foyer uh, or out into the hallway and the big shot lawyer from the other side who'd been pointing his finger at his people telling them how to beat us uh, goes out there and looks at Dr. Bob and says you guys faking because he's doing this you know head games well you don't play head games with Dr. Bob he has a PhD in psychology so <laughs> Dr. Bob looks at him and says well, your guy is, Dr. Bob did not use jukebox witness at this point in time. He referenced the doctor as being uh, of another profession where people sell their body for money. And, <laughs> and as opposed to a jukebox, at which point um, the guy said, well, it doesn't matter what our doctor is because your man's a fake. And Dr. Bob, one of the, the only time I've heard someone call down a curse, says, if my man is faking, May God bring the exact same condition down on you and your children, and we'll see how fake it is. Bob won the head war. Uh, that, that lawyer's walking around easy. He comes up a little bit later and says, uh, uh, I'm sorry if I offended y'all. You know, can you back that curse off? Um, so, uh, uh, outside of that, I don't know that I've really heard much cursing, but. Uh, 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 except of the sailor variety, and, and we hear that occasionally. But um, Balaam, this next fella here, Balaam, his name, um, Bala, is the Hebrew word, means devourer or destroyer. And he's got an international reputation as being a curser. He's a really good one. He curses and it takes. He's able, I mean, this is like a man who really can do voodoo with a voodoo doll or something. And, you know, you bring the hair and you bring the fingernail clippings and he'll put it in a dot. You want his neck to hurt and he'll stick a needle in. And this guy is able to call down curses and he's got an international reputation for being good at it. So from Mesopotamia, um, um, Balak gets this idea. He says, you know what I need to do? I need to get these Jews cursed. So he sends his fellows with a bag of money and says to Balaam, hey, want to get rich? Haul yourself over here uh, to Moab. We've got these people that need to be cursed. 
and we need you to curse them. So can we hire you to do that? Well, Balaam says, uh, hang on, let me check. Because, you know, this is... Um, uh, I, I, and and you know, sometimes you're real unclear. Uh, I think the Bible does teach that the supernatural is very real. In fact, I know it does. And that there are people uh, outside of God who are able to tap into the supernatural. Okay, it, It's taught in the Bible. It's true. We don't think about it because we live in the 21st century where we have computers and everything's rational. Um, but it's it's true. Okay? Now... <clears throat> um, when, when, when you go, even if you're going to see a charlatan who's faking uh, his ability to communicate with the supernatural, if you come and you ask him to do something supernatural with the supernatural's help, even the, the most artificial faker is going to say, well, first let me consult the, the, the auras or, you know, whatever it is. And they'll sit there and, oh, I'm feeling it. And da, 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 da. Okay, well, you know, Balaam gets the messengers from Balak the king and he doesn't just say, hey, man, how much money you got? He says, well, let me see if I can do this. Let me consult the supernatural. And he goes off to himself. Well, God says to him, says, hey, you better not curse my people. You better just let whatever I put in your mouth come out. Because God, in the supernatural world, he's like the king of the trump cards. Okay? you got lots of supernatural entities out there, but none of them are on the level of God. He's like king of the trump card. So it doesn't matter if Satan himself is ready to curse the people. God trumps Satan. Okay? So God enters into this man through the supernatural and says, i got to tell you, you are not going to say anything other than what I said. And, and the first time, God actually says, don't go. And so the, the fellow goes back and he says, uh, uh, Balaam goes back to the messengers for Balak and says, No, nah, God said, No, I can't go. So you, you, it, the story doesn't say it, but we know people. We know what happened. The story says that the messengers went back to Balak and told him. And then Balak said, Well, go try again. You've got to figure this time they went with more money. Okay? I mean, it's not in the story, but just between you and me, you can just see Balak saying, Man, I knew I should have sent you with the $100 bills instead of the 20s. This guy's expensive. He probably wants his travel expenses too. <laughs> uh, so he, he sends them back. Well, Balaam says, says, all right, let me check again. How much money? All right, I'll check again. And this time is when God says, hey, you know, if you go, you better just pronounce whatever I say. So Balaam comes back and says, yeah, I can do it. I can go. And he says, uh, let me get on my donkey and I'll see you all there. And so Balaam gets on his donkey. And I don't have the donkey down as one of the players here. And I do want to digress for a moment. Balaam, you know, the acorn doesn't fall far from the tree. This guy's not only an international cursor. He comes from a family of them. His daddy was an international cursor too. His daddy was Beor. And Beor means to burn off, eat off, or destroy from the Hebrew Ba'ar. And so this guy is not only a cursor, man, this is his, his family. This is their trade. This guy is, you know, what do you do for a living? I curse people. Okay? So, this guy uh, 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 does so. Uh, and on his way, um, boy, that's kind of hard to see. This is a, a, a Rembrandt painting um, of Balaam. That's what Balaam looked like, according to Rembrandt. We don't actually know. Um, that's the donkey. And Balaam's on the donkey. And that's an angel with a sword. Okay. That's important. Let me tell you why. Balaam and the donkey are headed to Moab to curse the Jews. 
or pronounce whatever God's going to. Well, evidently on the way, Balaam was trying to figure out how he was going to pull off doing this job in a way that trumps God. And uh, God was none too pleased. So God sends an angel down and the angel's in the road with a drawn sword ready to uh, uh, lop off Balaam's head. And Balaam is blind to what God is doing. Balaam does not see the angel. Now there's an irony here. This guy's getting paid the big dollars to come in because he's so in tune with the supernatural. And yet an angel of the Lord standing there with a sword drawn and the fella cannot see the angel of the Lord. The donkey, however, is able to see. They're paying the money to the wrong guy. The donkey is in touch with the supernatural workings of Jehovah God more than the paid jukebox man who's going to just sing the song for the money. So, the donkey is going down the road and he sees the big angel of the Lord with the drawn sword and the donkey decides to quit going down the road. And he goes off the side of the road down into the path. And Balaam, who did not see the angel of the Lord with the drawn sword, just gets mad. And as, as uh, you see here, he gets his little stick and just starts beating the crud out of the donkey. Stupid donkey. Bam, bam, bam. Get back on the road, donkey. Bam, bam, bam. Well, the donkey's saying, no, I ain't, I ain't getting back on the road. I saw what was up there. And then in front of the donkey is another, the angel of the Lord again with a drawn sword. And at this point, the only way to avoid it is for the donkey to wedge up against the side of, of a, a structure as he tries to get around. And he wedges up against the side and it winds up crushing uh, and scraping the leg and the foot of Balaam. And Balaam doesn't see this angel of the Lord appearance either. So Balaam's just really um, cursing now in a different sense. And he's very upset. This stupid donkey, and he's beating the donkey, and gets the donkey back up on the road. At this point, the angel of the Lord is right there in front in such a way that if the donkey moves at all, Balaam's dead. And so the donkey just lays down on the road. And Balaam's kicking the donkey and hitting the donkey and yelling at the donkey and says, you know, you stupid donkey, what's your problem? And the donkey speaks. <laughs> the donkey says, who are you calling an idiot? Would you look? Can't you see that? At which point, Balaam's eyes are open and he sees the angel of the Lord with the sword drawn and the donkey says, he's been there every time I've had to do this and you're just beating me. And Balaam um, uh, doesn't seem at, at all flustered that his donkey's speaking, but is very flustered that the uh, angel of the Lord is there and uh, that he missed it. And writers have discussed whether or not from the Hebrew you can tell that, Balaam, uh, that the donkey was speaking uh, uh, out loud in the voice of a man or the voice of a man in his head or whatever. doesn't matter. The point of the story is not how God can make a donkey speak. God can do that. I've tried lawsuits against people who weren't as smart as that donkey and they've spoke. Um, the, uh, uh, some people might say that about me. The, uh, um, the point of the story is that his eyes are open. He sees and God says to him again, Listen, Balaam, you better not say anything except what I'm telling you to say. The words that I put in your mouth is what you better say. Because I can assure you, Balaam was riding down that road path thinking, okay, 
uh, I can do it this way and get around that rule, or I can bend this. I bet if I do it this way, they'll double the payment. I bet I can, you know, and he's adding up the money on how much he's going to make on this trip cursing. Um, so, uh, Balaam now arrives, having had such an uh, interesting adventure. And the king of Moab, let's see where I go from here on this. The king of Moab says, okay, come look at, uh, uh, yeah, we'll get to that in a moment. It says, come look at these people. <clears throat> Let me show you some of them, because there's a bunch. And then do whatever you do. You know, do the curse thing. And so Balaam says, uh, um, okay, well, let me take a look. And Balaam goes and looks at the people. Now, I, I've put up here, this is important for us to know. Balaam is what the Bible, the NIV at least, I think translates as a soothsayer. Okay? He is not a prophet. There is a Hebrew word, Neviah, for prophet. And, and, and he is not a prophet. This is not someone whom God's spirit is on. A prophet is someone who has the spirit of God upon them, speaking what God wants spoken. Okay? Can be the future, can be the past, can be the present. A prophet is someone with the spirit of God on them, speaking the words of God or what God wants spoken. Okay? That is not what this fella is. This guy is a pagan. This, he is not, or at least not a, 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 what we would consider a, a, a believer in, in a sense. This guy is not a seer. He's not someone who has God-given visions of the future. Um, a, a seer in Hebrew is choser, um, or choser, uh, choser. It is not, that is not what this man is. This man is a soothsayer, a hachosem. And as such, he is almost like a, a witch. And this is witchcraft. Um, this is something that Moses and God specifically prohibit the people from doing. Um, you know, this would be what we would consider a, a voodoo type person. Um, uh, would be a similarity. Uh, this is someone who is like a palm reader type person, except a palm reader is more uh, trying to look just into the future. Um, this is someone who, who uh, uh, tarot, tarot card readers, uh, this kind of stuff is all involved in it. It's, it's witchcraft. It's, it's playing with the supernatural in ways that God has said not to. Uh, it's not walking in the spirit of God and the way you mesh with the, the supernatural in that way. Um, <clears throat> by the way, uh, I'm going to digress for just a moment, uh, if you all don't mind. And I want to I get a term clarified with you. And that's the term supernatural. Um, aside from being a very good CD by uh, Carlos Santana, um, it's got some meaning that it's worth talking about. Um, God, uh, in, in theology and the Bible teaches us that God is, is above everything, and yet God is everywhere. Okay, uh, You cannot go somewhere where God is not. And yet God is, it's almost a paradox or, or an opposite where both are true. God is also beyond everything. Because what God did is God created what we call nature. Um, and nature is the world, right? It's uh, not just the physical world, but it's more than that. It's the laws of the world, like the law of gravity. Um, it is the... Uh, 
uh, uh, just the, the natural sequence of things. You know, some people are shocked to find out uh, that uh, uh, natural selection, uh, uh, for example, or uh, lots of concepts that evolutionists grab hold of to teach evolution are actually just natural laws within the order of a created universe that allow that created universe to continue and to grow and, and to blossom. But God made nature, and nature is not just the planet Earth. We're talking about the solar system more, the galaxy more, the entire universe, everything that's within it, the thoughts and the ideas. All of this is part of nature as we've got nature. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, what is outside of nature or beyond nature? That would be called the supernature or something beyond. See, nature, this is the natural world. This is the natural world. Whether you're here or on the moon, it's still part of the natural world. What is beyond this world is the supernatural world. Now, God is everywhere. He's in the supernature and in nature. He's in the natural and the supernatural. We live in the natural world. This is where we are. But that doesn't change the fact that there is a supernatural world out there. And that the supernatural sometimes mixes with the natural. Okay, does that... Am I making sense? Okay, with that digression... Uh, I want to make sure you all understand at least the terms I'm using when I talk about supernatural. Um, so the, the supernature is out there and um, Balaam is able to work within the supernatural, uh, but not by the Spirit of God. It's not the Spirit of God working in his life. Now, let's go from there then to, there we go. Um, oops, that's a secret. You don't know that one yet. Um, <clears throat> Balaam is uh, told to uh, uh, curse the people. Balaam says, now I've been warning you, I can only say whatever God says. He says, that's okay, just curse the people. You know, I, I know what I'm getting for my money. Do what you do. So Balaam says, okay, well, let's start. Uh, I need you to build me seven altars, bring me seven rams and seven bulls. We'll sacrifice one ram and one bull on each of the seven altars. And uh, that's done, and part of the sacrifices are given to Balaam. We know from archaeology that uh, there, it was typical back then in this era for the soothsayers to take the liver of a sacrificed animal and go chop up on the liver and read what they needed to read from the supernatural out of that liver. Um, if you walk the streets of Manhattan... You'll see just little things, you know, fortune telling and, and little houses where you can go in and pay $10 and get your, your horoscope or get your blessings or curses or all of this kind of mess. This part's died out. Not a lot of those people do it by reading livers. You go in there, they'll take 10 bucks and do it, but they won't typically say, bring me the liver of a sacrificed animal and I will tell you what you want to know. That's more was done a few thousand years ago. So Balaam takes the livers or some parts of the animal and he goes off and he comes back and says, I am ready to pronounce upon the people. And so Balak is just real excited. You know, finally it took a lot of trouble to get the guy here and says, okay, do it. So 
here it is. This is what Balaam utters. And this is Numbers chapter 23, verse uh, 6. Balaam uttered his oracle, quote, Balak brought me from Aram. The king of Moab, Balak, brought me from the eastern mountains. Come, he said, curse Jacob for me. Come, denounce Israel. Don't you know, Balak's just really thinking, oh, this is good. You know, it's got like an introduction and my name's being used. And, and, uh, and he says, how can I curse those whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce those whom the Lord has not denounced? From the rocky peaks, I see them. From the heights, I view them. I see a people who live apart, do not consider themselves one of the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob? Are numbered. Let me die the death of the righteous and let my end be like theirs. Well, that's a blessing. It's not a, real, it's not a, uh, not a curse at all. And Balak says, okay, you may be a little unclear on the concept. I hauled you all the way here not to bless them. I hauled you all the way here to curse them. He says, well, you know, I I warned you I had to do what, what, you know, what's out there. I can only deal with what I got. I got to play the hand I got. And, And Balak says, well, okay, maybe you just saw part of them. Let's go look at more of them and see if there aren't some people you can curse. Come on. So they go to a second area and they go, or as it says, come with me to another place where you can see him. And not only a part, but all of them. So they go there. They build the seven altars. They sacrifice the seven rams and the bulls. And Balaam says, all right, let me take my livers and go off to the side. Balaam goes off to the side. He comes back. And Balak says, uh, um, what did the Lord say? Now, he's a little more interested at this point in time. It's not just uh, sitting back and listening. And, and Balak says, well, what did the Lord say? Here it is. Arise, Balak, and listen. Hear me, son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? I received a command to bless. He's blessed. I can't change it. It doesn't matter now that I've seen all of them. God's not changing his mind just because you took me somewhere else. He says, no misfortune is seen in Jacob. There's not any misery observed in Israel. Yahweh, their God, is with them. The shout of the kings among them. He brought them out of Egypt. They've got the strength of a wild ox. There's not sorcery I can bring against Jacob. There's not divination I can bring against Israel. Only thing that's going to be said is, see what God has done? These people rise like a lioness. They rouse themselves like a lion. And they're not going to rest till they eat all their prey and drink the blood of their victims. Well, Balak says, okay, look. If you're not going to curse them, at least don't bless them. I didn't haul you all the way here to bless them. I hauled you here to curse them. And, and, and you could just say, no. You don't have to be announcing these blessings. Now they're getting all this supernatural help for them when it's supposed to be against them. Balaam says, well, I told you I had to do whatever the Lord said. Balak says, okay, look. You've heard it said the third time's a charm. He says, uh, come on. Let's just try this one more time. You know, I mean, how much worse can it get, right? 
So we're going to try it one more time. And, and they go off and um, they build another seven altars. They got another seven bulls. They got another seven rams. And Balaam sees that it pleases the Lord to bless Israel. So this time he doesn't have to go take the livers and start looking at them. He did not resort to sorcery as it says in chapter 24 verse 1. He just turned his face to the desert, looked out, saw Israel and camped tribe by tribe. The Spirit of God comes upon him and he says... Here's the oracle of Balaam, son of Beor, the one whose eye sees clearly. The oracle of one who hears the words of God, who sees a vision from the Almighty. And here's his curse. How beautiful are your tents, O Jacob, your dwelling places, O Israel. Like valleys they spread out, like gardens beside a river, like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars beside waters. Water will flow from their bucket. Their seed will have abundant water. Their king will be greater than Agag. Their kingdom will be exalted. And he just keeps going. And then he ends with, may those who bless you be blessed and those who curse you be cursed. And he looks at Balak. And it says, then I love this verse. This is one of these verses that just brings the story alive to me. Then Balak's anger burned against Balaam. He struck his hands together and said, I summoned you to curse my enemies, but you've blessed them these three times. Now leave at once and go home and you're not getting paid. <laughs> exactly what it says. It says, I said I would reward you handsomely, but the Lord's kept you from being rewarded. <laughs> You're so proud of the Lord. Took your money. And I love that he claps his hands together. Can't you? I mean, you just see the guy's throwing a fit. He says, Dad, gum it! I brought you here to curse him and you're blessing him. Well, take your Lord back without any money. I'm not even paying your travel. You didn't do what I said. And uh, uh, it's, just, it's just a wonderful story. And so <laughs> Balaam says, Hey, I warned your messengers from the beginning. Now, I'm going to go back to my people and I'm going to leave. But... I want to tell you one last thing. And he utters his fourth oracle. Now this is beautiful because at this point, the Spirit of God has come upon it. And what he utters here is not just his own meshing with the supernatural. He truly utters a word from the Lord as he did the last time. He says, uh, the oracle of one who hears the words of God, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who's falls prostate and whose eyes are open. And then 24 verse 17. See if you pick this up. He says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. And it goes on to say that he will bring not only peace and prosperity to God's people, but he will subdue the enemies of God's people. Um, that sends a chill down my spine. Because if you flip to your New Testament in Matthew chapter 2, in verse 2, and it's worth writing down as a reference here for this prophecy. Matthew chapter 2, verse 2. I'll start with verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, 
Where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? A scepter is kingdom, king of the Jews. We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Um, a star comes out of Jacob and heralds the birth of Jesus the Messiah, who is the king of all kings, whose scepter rises out of Israel and who um, rules not only our lives and our hearts, but all of the supernatural, all of the natural. He's the king of all kings and lord of all lords. Um, it's a um, prophecy that, that Balaam leaves a blessing and goes. Well, I've got to tell you a couple of things uh, to, to end this story, and then I want to bring a point home, and then I'll be done. Um, to end the story... Uh, uh, the people, the king of Moab doesn't just walk away and claim uh, he lost. But what he does first is he tries to another plan. And it, the scripture suggests that Balaam even recommended it. He said, hey, look, man, I can't curse him. God's put uh, uh, handcuffs on me. All I can do is tell you the truth. Maybe you can do something, though. Maybe you can wipe him out a different way. Send all of your attractive women down. Go get the Midianite women. They're even prettier. Get all of the attractive women in there and start seducing all of the men. Maybe you can send some men down and seduce the women. I don't know. But you can water out the tribe. You can water out the nation of Israel. You can just make it part of your kingdom if you, if you can pull that off. And the scripture suggests that uh, uh, or indicates that that was probably a suggestion of Balaam. And it was tried. Uh, uh, and uh, God uh, takes out that part of his nation that didn't choose purity and 20 some odd thousand people die um, uh, because God's kingdom is God's kingdom and, it, and God's people are God's people and they don't belong half to God and half to Satan they don't belong half to God and half to the world they belong to God and that's where the happiness is and that's where the joy is like Damon was talking this morning the greatest misery that I know in Christian people are people who are too in the world to have the joy of the Lord, and yet to in the Lord to have the joy of the world. You know, they just are miserable. Um, uh, the answer to that is, is to be in the Lord. Now, I, I want in, in closing to tell you that Numbers has some additional parts to it. It was in the outline from last week, but we've hit the guts of it in biblical literacy. Next week, we're going to talk about Deuteronomy, and we're going to do Deuteronomy in a week, and then it's Joshua Judges Ruth with Edward Fudge. Before you leave, I want you to take home a couple of points, or one point in particular, from this uh, story. All of us live in a day and in, in a life with conflict. You may have conflict with the person you're sitting next to. You may have conflict with your neighbors. You may have conflict with your bosses. You may have conflict with your co-workers. You may have conflicts with your children or with your parents. We live in a world of conflict. In relationships, there is conflict. We talked about it in Genesis. It's part of the curse of the world. There are some relationships and conflicts here in this story. There's the relationship of Balak, king of the Moabs, against Israel. There's a relationship and conflict between Balaam and his donkey. Here's a general rule for life. When conflict arises, side with God. And if you don't know which side God is on, try to find out. 
That doesn't mean life will be great for you. You may be the donkey that gets beat with a stick a bunch because you sided with the Lord. But it's still a whole lot better than not. You side with the Lord in your conflict. And you figure out... I mean, it may wind up meaning that you get destroyed um, in this world. But you will never go wrong. It's like the, the saying, uh, when in doubt, do the right thing. Or when in doubt, tell the truth. You know, all of these sayings, they make just basic common sense. But think about it in terms of the conflicts in your life. When conflict arises, side with the Lord. If that's what you're going to do, then your only job is to figure out where the Lord is and what the Lord wants. It's not always easy, but that's the job in conflict. Figure out where the Lord is and what the Lord wants, and then you align yourself with that. And you just walk. You've got the joy DeMond talked about. You've got the victory that we see. Pray with me. Lord, thank you so much that so many people are willing to come in here and, and uh, listen to uh, what uh, things I've got to say. Uh, it is my fervent prayer, Lord, that you will work through this class to minister to people where they are. Uh, it is my fervent prayer, Lord, that you will bless them not only with knowledge in their heads of how you're out and working and how you've worked historically and where your Bible is and what it has to say, but you will bless their hearts with the motivation and desire to take that learning and grow in you. Uh, Lord, give me wisdom as I prepare this class. Uh, help us next week to have a great class with Deuteronomy. And uh, as people start going over the summer in different places, Lord, protect our class as they travel and uh, continue to bring us all back together around your word to feast upon the food that you have for our souls. We love you. In the name of Jesus, amen.